Are you ever watching a show and then suddenly you get this weird feeling like the show's just about to do something strange and you just say to yourself, Oh no, what now? Hey fam, welcome to the second episode of Stay Watching. As always, I'm your host, Larry McAllister II. This week on the podcast, there's a topic that I really have been thinking about for the last couple of weeks, and I wanted to invite my friend Rebecca Carvalho in to talk about it. So this week, we are talking about writing uh, on TV shows. And in particular, we're talking a little bit about some of the things that or some of the shows that we think have some pretty good writing, some shows that maybe have some not so good writing. Uh, and one of those shows being uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina <laughs> on Netflix. So as you listen to this episode, there might be some slight spoilers for that show. If you haven't watched it and you do care, you might want to you know, hit pause, maybe watch at least the first season of the show. Um, and then come back to this one. Uh, but we also talk about a few older shows like The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, and a few other things. So, um, but really, we just kind of wanted to get into talking about, you know, what we like to see from writing on TV, some things that we don't like to see so much, uh, and a lot of the pitfalls that, that we kind of think that television writing has right now. So, buckle up i think it's a really fun conversation rebecca has a lot of really great insight uh so yeah So talking about bad writing with me today is Rebecca. Rebecca, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Rebecca Carvalho. I'm a writer, marketing strategist, and I am based in New Jersey. I'm also a copywriter. I have my own business. And uh, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. So Rebecca, tell me a little bit about how did writing kind of enter into your life? Um, well, I was a little kid who liked to talk a lot, so I had a lot of people give me notebooks as a medium to express myself, so that's when I really started writing. And as I got older, I realized that I wanted to do more creative writing. Um, I did some editorial, and then I shifted into some TV writing in college when I was studying TV video production, and then I segued into marketing because that's where... The big bucks were um so that's kind of where my my journey started with writing and then i also do poetry um i do um, a lot of prose so that's that's where i'm at yeah it's 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 kind of funny you know, we always seem to end up in marketing because it's something that's a little bit more guaranteed yeah. than where our passions may really lie um so I guess, you know, just thinking about kind of where you were coming at writing from that kind of background and wanting to do some TV writing. Uh, I know a lot of our conversations online have really been around kind of 
bad writing that's out there. Yes. Um, but before we get to the bad writing, because I, I, I feel like that's going to be a lot of fun, mm-hmm. you know, for you, what are some things that, or some programs, some movies, some TV shows that you feel have like really good writing? Really good writing. Okay. Oh, this is... This, this is, is, I'm not going to lie, is this isn't as, yeah, this isn't as, wait, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. yeah All right, yeah. this isn't as fun as talking shit, obviously, <laughs> but um, great, I want to say recently I got into Shit's Creek mm. because my friend recommended it because she said the writing was so on point and that show has me rolling. It's very clever. It's one of those things where you think you miss a beat and then you kind of have to think about it and realize how clever <laughs> it is later on. Um, so in terms of, you know, the newer uh, programs I've been watching, Shit's Creek has really taken the cake for great writing. Um, everyone who knows me knows two things. I live and die by my New Jersey pride, and I will talk about The Sopranos at any possible moment because it's the best TV show of all time. <laughs> I will I will ride that out to the grave. I love the writing in that show. I think each character is written really um really perfectly and you know they're not afraid of being funny and being um you know being really authentic to themselves even Mm -hmm. though you know they're all mob bosses who kill people you know i I think it's kind of great that there's this level of you know really well done authenticity not just on the dramatic side but of who these people are and who these characters are um let's see other shows with great tv writing i'm trying to think of i'm trying to think of like recent examples uh, it's it's a little bit harder like yeah. recently right or yeah. am, am i imagining that or no i feel like um i feel like a lot of newer programming is kind of relying on other devices to push their shows forward mm-hmm. where you know they might have started really strong and had some strong character development and a decent foundation are now just using other devices to propel the show mm-hmm. forward or they use that popularity to, to to hold the show to the standard it has and then they i'm not saying they get lazy but it you know the writing kind of falls to the wayside um but yeah oh daredevil has great writing oh daredevil has excellent R-I-P. writing well get daredevil out. Yeah. had, had great, great writing, writing. <laughs> Daredevil was, I think that was the show that, um, because I did, I didn't read comics as a kid, but I, I got into them much later in life. And I think that was the one where they were really able to write a comic into a show in a really seamless way. So I appreciate the the writing on that show a lot. Rest in peace. Yeah, it's 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 really too bad. I, I feel like that's the, I talk about this a lot, but like the whole problem with Netflix is that like, we can watch something and love it and think it's great. It can be critically acclaimed. And if it doesn't meet the numbers that they have set for it, it's just it's gone. gone. And, and sure with Marvel, there was other stuff involved. We, we all know that Disney's launching their own thing, but you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of other shows that we, we were watching that are probably just gone now. Are, are there any shows that you kind of got really into on Netflix that, you know, just kind of disappeared? I don't, they i'm trying to think of any of the ones that just kind of magically disappeared after a season a lot of them were ones that started on other networks Mm. and i guess they would air it later on netflix and then i would find out that the network canceled it so (laughs) i watched champions which was mindy kaling show yeah mm -hmm. and because i love honors home but whatever whatever his real name is i i always (laughs) think i always think the guy on workaholics and him in real life are the same same exact person (laughs) 
Um, so I, I really think he's he's funny and really clever. So I watched it and I fell in love with the show. And then I later found out that it was canceled immediately after I finished the first season. <laughs> I thought it was a Netflix show, ended up being NBC. Netflix, I guess, aired it. And then I found out that that was, that was it. That's all she wrote. And I was really, I was really upset. And, and um, it was because it didn't get renewed. So that was, that was a hard one to, to deal with. And then I, I was nervous about Good Girls for the same mm -hmm. reason, because the first season was on Netflix. Didn't know if they were renewing it, didn't, or NBC was renewing it. They did. The second season's airing now and it's great, but I always have this level of hesitation, not just with um, what's out on Netflix, just even network TV is getting mm -hmm. so competitive yeah. for those time slots that I feel like anything could go at any given moment. Yeah. So I try to, I, I try to become very detached from <laughs> a lot of series just because I'm a, I'm nervous about how they're going to do no matter how great they are. You know, I think that's the, that's the thing for, for me because I was thinking about this um, a little bit recently, partially because I'm going to be recording an episode about peak TV soon. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's just like there's so many shows that I'm afraid to actually start watching just because I feel like they're going to get canceled or, you know, or like do you want to make that investment because watching a show nowadays is a lot of time it especially is a lot of time with everything else that we have going on um yeah. so i guess for for you how do you make that decision of what you're actually going to dedicate your time to watching so i've been really trying to prioritize anything that's been written by women specifically women of color of course it's difficult to find which it really shouldn't be as difficult as it is to get something on a major network or on netflix um it really just comes down to i i do i i will admit i do follow certain actresses and i do follow certain people so i started and loved russian doll because mm -hmm. i found out it was amy poehler producing it and i like natasha leone and i, I kind of follow whatever yeah. you know they do um <laughs> And I really enjoyed it. But when it comes down what, to what I decide to watch, it almost depends on if I'm trying to counter something that I'm already watching. So mm. now that Game of Thrones is on, I'm like, all right, let me watch Queer Eye to make myself feel better about all the terrible things that are happening. <laughs> let me just watch this amazing, wholesome reality show that makes me feel better to compensate for the drama in Game of Thrones. Um, you know, I'm not going to watch Game of Thrones and Ozark at the same time because I'll just end up falling apart. Both That's are very intense really heavy. shows. <laughs> so um, it's, it really depends on that. And then it's also um, I'm notorious for waiting until shows are over mm -hmm. and then watching the whole season or watching all of the seasons. But if it's something that I'm so afraid it's going to get spoiled, I really do try to carve mm. out that time. Because if anybody spoiled Jane the Virgin for me, I was going to lose my mind. So I've been watching that every week. Yeah, yeah. That's this season. I'm going to be talking with a mutual friend of ours about uh, certain elements of that show. Oh, I wonder who that could be. Oh, who could that be? <laughs> but it, 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 it is one of those shows where I was realizing, like, as I was watching it each week, like, if, if I heard what had happened the next week, I would have been, I would have been pissed. Devastated, <laughs> yeah. Just been like, no, like, I needed I need, to find I needed to out. find that out on my own. No, but I definitely feel you about like kind of counterbalancing shows. Um, you know, I've, I've, I 
found myself watching a lot of really dark, depressing shows a while back and, and, you know, stuff like stuff that we all love, like BoJack Horseman, where it's just like I had to quit the show because yeah. like I just felt too awful watching it. Yeah, that show really hits you in a, in a way that really makes you kind of introspective and wonder you start thinking about your own life choices. And for a lot of people, like I, I had written about Bojack Horseman um, for the dot and line because the, you know, the, the most recent season was almost very traumatizing for mm-hmm. me to watch because of the events that happened. But then on the flip side, now that Tuca and Birdie is out and it's, I, wait, correct me if I'm wrong. It's the same writer. Or the same animator. It's one of the two. I think it's the same animation. Anima- I know it's the same animation, but I think she also wrote for BoJack. She might have. Yeah. I know her first name's Lisa, and I can't remember her last name. But I follow her on Twitter, <laughs> and I think she's very funny. Um, but even that show, like, it's great and it's entertaining, but then there are some elements where yeah. it gets so real and it gets almost sobering to watch that, you know, sometimes you just kind of want... A comedy that makes you not think of anything. Yeah. Um, that's purely <laughs> just entertaining and funny. Um, and now I feel like a lot of the lines are getting blurred between comedy and drama, mm-hmm. where you go in expecting it to be purely one, and then it ends up being a mix of both, and you, you're you really caught off guard by the whole, you know, the, the show as a whole. Yeah, that basically described my reaction to something like Atlanta when when that show kind of yeah. came on the scene because it's like, oh, like, am I supposed to be laughing at this part because it seems really serious, yeah, really real? Like, you know, like the the part that always kind of springs back to mind was like the the drive through robbery, and it's like you're watching it, and at first you're like, oh, like this is so ridiculous, this is hilarious, and then right. like essentially what would be the punchline to the joke is like the most sobering moment. You're just like, Oh, this is completely different than what I was expecting. Yeah. No, that's always been a, it's jarring. It's, it's, it's almost surreal to see. And I think that's an amazing feeling. And I love that TV can make someone feel that way or make me feel that way. But there are times where it's, it's hard to kind of stare at that, that almost sobriety in the face. (laughs) So I guess this is the perfect kind of segue to talk about, you know, one of our, our our favorite topics and one of our least favorite topics Uh. at the same time, just bad writing in general. And, where we kind of arrived at this, I mean, we've we've had conversations about all sorts of different programming. Most recently, we're talking about Game of Thrones and some of the issues that we're having about that. But for us, this really started with the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Yeah, that show <laughs> makes me angry as much as I love it. It does. I think that that idea of kind of like hate watching something it's so real. It, it, it is that show for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I guess, you know, from your perspective, what is so bad about the writing of this show? Um, I Well, to start, I, I've really thought about this, especially after watching <laughs> the second season. I couldn't tell if it was the writing that bothered me or the fact that an Everyone I know that I talk to about TV, I hate almost every protagonist in every show. Um, And I I couldn't tell if it was that I needed to, you know, reframe my idea of what a heroine should do or or what she should be doing. And I really did 
take that into account. And then when I started, you know, rewatching a few episodes, I realized that, yes, maybe I need to call out my own, my own uh, perspective when it comes to what I think a heroine should do and mm-hmm. how she should act or how the protagonist should act. But at the same time, <laughs> uh, there's just something very clumsy about the timing of the show that mm-hmm. that bothered me since the first season. Um, you know, I feel like it's not the kind of bad writing where you're like, oh, this has so many loose ends that it doesn't make sense. But it still feels a little insincere and a little mm-hmm. incomplete. Um, and I'm not just talking about Sabrina herself. I'm talking about even the secondary characters or, you know, the whole supporting cast where everything just feels a little lackluster and a little empty. And there's just some, there's some kind of pulse that's missing that Mm -hmm. I haven't really been able to understand. And I, I gave it the benefit of the doubt during the first season because I thought, okay, they're getting their footing. It's, you know, it's kind of like watching a baby deer walk for the first time. (laughs) And then the second season, it just didn't really move forward. And I think there are certain storylines that they did really well, Mm -hmm. but it, the number of them is, you know, me, it's like a ratio of like one great storyline for every, like, six crappy ones so um at this point it's just the show that i watch that i really don't understand why i'm still here but i'm here (laughs) i i feel like you know just to be fair i think part of it it might be and and maybe this is just from my perspective but it's like there's something about like even though it it's it feels somewhat cheap Mm -hmm. you're just like interested to see what happens like you need to know and it's like it's kind of like a almost like a soap opera in that regard where it's just like you need to know all right they've already done these ridiculous things where do they go to next and i think one of the things that, that you were kind of talking about in terms of the where the characters are going where the story is going and how things feel kind of uneven. Like, I wonder is, do do you feel like that might be partially to do with the fact that it feels like they're making it up as they go along? Like it, it, it didn't seem like, especially watching the first part, because, you know, we're talking about one season that's split in two. Right. um, That feels like two completely different seasons because it, it seems like they didn't know where they wanted to take the story right no i i definitely see that and i felt that at the end of the first part because the entire point of the first part is that she doesn't want to sign her name in the book of the beast and that's i think one of the i like no no i don't i was gonna say i like sabrina no i don't um i, I really don't <laughs> Does i think anyone she, really likes sabrina really. like i haven't met a person yet I kind of, like i love the aesthetic of the show more than anything else because I love fall and I love dark colors and I love things that have to do with witchcraft and I do dress like that 90% of the time. But what really bothered me is that this whole driving force of her character and her her struggle between mortal and witch and good and bad and figuring out what this could be and what she is depends on this whole storyline of her not signing her name in the Book of the Beast. She's being stubborn about it. She doesn't want to do it. It's not happening. And then at the end of the first part... She signs her name in the damn book. And it just kind of feels like a red herring. It's like you really, this was really the part that I thought gave her some complexity mm-hmm. and depth that just went out the window because she signed the, the book. And I understand why she did it, but I feel like they 
kind of put her moral compass so heavily on that one issue where the other ones were a little more cut and dry. Mm -hmm. You know, she, you know, she, she would see an injustice and she would react to it. And that was, and then it was over, you yeah. know, like that, that didn't really give her a long storyline to kind of adjust her morality or mm -hmm. figure things out. The one thing we had was that, and then it was gone. Yeah. So, um, th that was just very disappointing for me. Um, I was like, really, I just watched this whole season and she did it anyway. She could have done this so long ago. So yeah, it does, it does feel like they don't really know where this is going. Mm -hmm. And then it got renewed for up to four seasons. So I don't know oh, where Christ. else it's, yeah. They <laughs> renewed it very early on for additional seasons. That's a lot. Well, like, like parts like they did before I or think like they full just on said seasons. Four, they said four seasons, but I don't know what that, cause it was a very early so if conversation. If like 20 episodes, know, that's, a, that's a lot. I know, it's that's so much. And I think it's just piggybacking off of Riverdale. Because it's the same. Well, the Berlanti, you know, Greg Berlanti's production company right. does, you know, Riverdale. They do The Flash. They do Arrow. Right. DC's Legends of Tomorrow. They, so they do, like, basically half of what's on the CW. Right. Plus Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And um, you. Uh, regular, the, the, the one with Penn Bad. I call him Pen Bagels because I can never say his name. Pen Bagels. Bagels. He's so fine. But yeah, that one, he, oh. they do that show. Like, they do that show too. Oh, okay. Which I found out when I actually watched to the end of the credits. I don't watch that show based on principle because A, it's my nightmare and B, her name's Rebecca. So I'm good. Yeah, I'm completely you're fine. Not, you're not missing anything. Yes. It's just, it's just one of those things that, yeah, I feel like it's, they just make it up as they go along. I, I really don't know what's going to happen in part three, or I guess season two, part three. <laughs> I don't really, I don't get it. Just, I don't know. Sabrina, let your boyfriend die. He's fine. Yeah. He's already dead. He's technically. Not, he's kind of, he's kind of a dick anyway. He's got, he sold you out. Like, why would you save him? <laughs> He, he you literally, burn. He literally was technically evil. Yeah, he played you. Like, let him go. Uh, so I, I guess that's something that, that comes to mind a lot for me, and I wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on it. So we, we talked a little bit about it about it with Sabrina, mm -hmm. but just the idea in general of folks nece not necessarily writing their TV shows to a, in a way where they're moving towards a clear, defined goal. Right. Do you see that as a problem or do you do you feel like it all depends on what the program is? I think it depends on the program. And I know there's different styles of writing when it comes to developing a show. You know, you can kind of work backwards from that end goal or you can develop these characters so fully that the end goal becomes more clear as it's fleshed out. And I don't think there's really a right or wrong way to do it. But I think if your audience is confused as to which <laughs> is happening, then there's something to be said. Um, because at this point, I don't really understand specifically with Sabrina, like what is going on at this point. I mean, they they ended the second part with, a, you know, a couple of, you know, open storylines mm -hmm. and, you know, um, Ambrose going off and that's like doing that. I'm actually kind of interested in that. Yeah, that I'm actually interested <laughs> but in. But we're not going to get much of it. Yeah, we're not. And we both know why. <laughs> Um, we're really not going to get much of the secondary storylines because they're so heavily into what what her point of view is. 
Um, but I think, yeah, I think there's a good way to do it or a right and a wrong way to do it. But if your audience is like not really sure what's going on, then you've kind of lost them. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I have an issue with this season of Game of Thrones. But it's yeah, fine. it's fine. I'm OK. No, I mean, I'm, not. I'm so mad You know, because it, it's it's interesting and, and we're not going to talk too much about Game yeah, of Thrones. No, but no, don't get me started. I, I've been <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot. And, you know, what I what I found because I've gone back and watched every episode this season a couple of times. Yeah. You know, and, and what I found is as standalone pieces, some of them work in a way right you know where it's like if i disconnect it from everything else that i've seen right this can be enjoyable the problem is like the series builds on itself from the very first episode right it's all about the culmination and you know i guess i guess that's the thing that i that i kind of wanted to to ask you about and you know, maybe you have feelings on this. I, I'm, I'm kind of throwing this at you. You're okay. a little bit unprepared <laughs> for it. But, you know, I, I've been obsessed with this idea of sticking the landing. And for me, like Game of Thrones, it's impossible for it to stick the landing right. at this point. It could have. Right. Um, there was a lot of stuff that they could have done to make sure that it happened and that it worked out that way. But, you know, just thinking about shows that, that you may have watched that have gone through to completion, are there any that stand out in your mind where it's like, you know, sure, maybe it had a slow season here or there, but like right. overall the the writing was pretty consistent and, and you felt like they gave the characters like, you know, a, a good ending, a right. good ending spot. Um, I'm trying to think like shows that are that are over, right? That yeah. I'm beginning to end. <laughs> um, oh, let me think. I think Nurse Jackie did a really good job at that. Nurse Jackie was one of those shows that was a good blend of like drama and comedy Mm -hmm. and the way the writers were able to give each character their nuanced story was really nice. Mm -hmm. And the ending is probably one of my favorites because it's, I think you can totally stick a landing without giving the audience what they want. (laughs) I do believe that. I think you can totally kill it. Like, don't tell me that people were exactly happy when The Sopranos ended gonna, on a, on a black my, cut scene, my, my, you know, like just a black screen. Yeah. I think you can stick a landing without providing answers. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's impossible. Like that show did it really well. And Nurse Jackie's another show mm-hmm. that you don't really know what happens, but they stick it really well because the development up to that point mm-hmm. And Nurse Jackie is one of those shows where it's kind of black and white, where it's going to go and how it's going to end at a certain point. But they stuck it really well because the development was so strong up until that moment, including that moment, that it worked. And, you know, it just ended like when it ended, I was like, okay, cool. A show that I don't always that I go back and forth on a lot when it comes to the ending is Mad Men. Really? Yes, because there are times where I'm like, this is perfect. This stuck the landing. I get it. And then there are other times where I feel like it's not, it was a little too far fetched as for Don as a character Mm. to end where he had peace of mind because there was never any point where I'm like, Oh, at the end of the day, he'll be fine. Be like chill because he had never been chill a single day in his life, you Uh know, up until that moment. And I get, you know, you're, you kind of receive this like nirvana, like this nirvana moment, but 
Yeah, that was that was a show where I went back and forth a lot where I'm like, am I happy? Am I unhappy? Like, I can't really <laughs> tell. So I want to rewatch it just to see how I can, you know, reflect on that ending specifically. It's, your your interpretation of that ending was really, really interesting to me. Yeah, I know. Because you kind of like, I, I feel like I read that completely differently where it was like he he doesn't achieve that because he just goes back to being who he who is because he, he can't not do it and maybe that's just because i think about work addiction a lot right yeah because, same because that's same. my life um but i mean like that was really what i took away and that's part of why i really loved the ending of that show because it was just like it felt like it captured who he was so perfectly right where it's just like all right reinvent yourself become someone new but just keep moving just keep doing it right. and don't slow down enough to ever fully be introspective or fully think about it because when you do that everything falls apart right and that, well, he never lets himself like yeah he has a very like he has those moments stringent yeah <laughs> but there was just something about him at the end where he's like yeah for me he just seemed like he was so at peace and i'm like how can don draper ever really you know yeah. and it, it was really a, a thought where i'm like is he actually at peace is he playing with us right now <laughs> so and i and i thought the way that the other characters had their endings was really mm -hmm. perfect especially betty yeah. and that whole development betty i just think is so tragic and i i think about her a lot i think <laughs> about betty draper a lot just because she was just a woman who was a product of her time and things were a changing and she wasn't going to get on that boat mm -hmm. and it's just this you know really sad kind of tragic story and ending mm -hmm. that you you know you saw coming but um yeah when it comes to just the you know sticking that landing it's you know that's that's one show where i'm i was never entirely sure <laughs> um but i'm probably probably going to rewatch it soon just because i love advertising so. oh, yeah. i mean that that show is amazing it so is. many I, it I, really I just is. i love the the character interactions and everything like that but i mean i think i think this is really this is really telling for just the fact that like so few shows can really like do it right you know? it's just like because i mean and maybe it's just like the difference is generationally like I, I was thinking about this too where it's just like how many shows actually do end nowadays you know like without just getting canceled but like actually actually have a conclusive yeah i think that's why i'm excited for jane the virgin because it was really the writer's call yeah like they were like this is this is it this is all we got this is all the story needs and i was talking about this with a friend of mine how Especially now, we don't really let things die, no. and they should die. Yeah, as morbid as that sounds, they should they should have their own peaceful ending. Where, unless driven by a cancellation, if the numbers are doing well, they just keep feeding, yeah. keep feeding the horse until it gets really fat and can't do anything yeah. anymore. You know, it's just one of those things where they don't let it go. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like Harry Potter's definitely done that, and I'm a huge oh. Harry Potter fan. It's like let it go let it die need to leave. just leave just go um game of thrones is doing it because they're talking about prequels, prequels yep. which i'm sorry i don't care I don't you already them. you already teased me so hard with an amazing villain that died in the best way with zero answers that I don't care. You've insulted me. We're going to have to talk about yeah, that. They, Not they've, on the podcast. Yeah, but they've, they've insulted me. <laughs> and then, you know, they're like The Walking Dead is a great example. Oh. Let it go. You know, the, even the actors seem to be over it. Yeah, they, well, they keep all the actors leaving. are leaving. You know. And it's, you know, 
just know when something needs to kind of come to a nice organic end, which is why I appreciate Jane the Virgin because the writer said, okay, this is the story and that's it. And I think the guys who wrote Stranger Things are on that same wave. I hope, I hope Stranger Things ends. I mean, I'm one of those people that like, I kind of wish a lot of programs were just one season. Stranger Things being one of them. Yeah, me too. It's like, I love Stranger Things, but I feel like they told all of the story that they needed to tell and could have left it at a very nice kind of like cliffhanger. You'll never really know. You'll never really know kind of thing. That's fitting with the types of movies that it was referencing, you know, and the type of source material that it was referencing. You know, and, and the Jane the Virgin thing is really interesting to me, especially knowing that it's a CW show because a show that should have ended on the CW that I believe is still going is Supernatural. Oh my God. How is that still going? (laughs) But like, all right. So do you know about this where there was a, there was actually an end point. So the original creative team for the show Mm -hmm. said like, I believe it was at this end of season five. Okay. Um, You know, I I know the show is ancient, but I'm not going to spoil what happens, but it's like very definitive with where it was supposed to end. And, it was supposed to be a very bittersweet ending, but that's where the show but was. But an ending nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. And so the original <clears throat> the original creative team was like, this is this is where we had mapped the show out. You know, these were our five seasons. This is where it led to. This is where it ended. We're all gonna leave. You can you can have the show and do with it what you want. Right. And so there's like very clearly this scene where it's like all right, this is where the creative team left. This is where this is where the new people on, go in. You know, yeah. this piece to keep it going. And, you know, the show had this really weird kind of shambling corpse. Like, how do we keep going? You know, it was just like falling apart for a little while. And, you know, granted, I know a lot of people who watch it now who are like, oh, no, it's still fun and interesting and entertaining. Right. And, I'm, and I'm sure it is. But like, there's that piece of me that's like, well, the original creative team intended this. So why not? I would, re- I mean, personally, I would respect the wishes of who, yeah. of the creators. But yeah, it's it's sad that a lot of these shows, it's kind of like a cash cow. They see it mm-hmm. doing well and they won't let it go. Like The Walking Dead, they're not. Okay, to be fair, The Walking Dead has a lot of source material. That, it's That's a list not of even thick being book, used. Right? Yeah, but it's like a big, like I've seen all of them in one big volume. So I've the first three compendiums is about the width of my laptop. Okay. Um, I'm like, <laughs> listeners, I'm using my hands. You can't see me. But it's, you know, it's, it's this huge, huge book um, or graphic it's a, novel. It's a tome. Huge. And I, I stopped watching the show because... At a certain point, you could kind of see... It was almost as if the actors were getting tired, the writers were getting tired, and someone gave up somewhere (laughs) along the line that I couldn't even do it anymore. Like, none of the storylines really came together the way I thought they were going to and I just I just stopped and and I always get um because I'm so stubborn I hate when I stop a show you know (laughs) if, if I stopped watching it that means that there had to have been something really amiss yeah and that's what happened there and you know I just think that a lot of a lot of shows and and series I love that they're successful and I want them to be successful but then you're beating this dead horse. You just need to let it go. Yeah. Break up. <laughs> just break up. Have a nice clean breakup and move on with your lives, you know? I think that's the thing. It's like too many, too many of these 
networks because I mean that's really that's really where the problem lies in a lot of cases. Right. You know, sometimes it's showrunners, certain showrunners who I'll leave. Yeah, unnamed. we'll we'll leave them unnamed. Um, but like you know, like I was just thinking about like the whole NBC thing right now, where it's like, all right, NBC is constantly looking to revive old properties or bring yeah. people back. So it's like, all right, like. I don't know how long they've been talking about reviving Friends. I've never watched Friends. Like- Friends is the worst. I will go on record right now. That show is garbage. <laughs> All right. So you think it's garbage. I've never watched it. But I have no problem feeling like it doesn't need to come back. Right. You know? I know there's been, like, all of these murmurings of people wanting Parks and Recreation to come back. Right. And Amy Poehler said she's on board. She's pretty much the only one I know who's on board right now. Because, like, one, I don't think anybody wants Chris Pratt to come back. No, because he's the worst now. He's the worst. Like, Aziz, I need him to, like, re-go away. Like, he came back a little too soon. He needs to go away. Right, he needs to go away. Do some soul-searching. Aubrey Plaza, I just wish her all the success and want her right. to do other things and be other people. Um, <laughs> Nick Offerman, I have no worries about. He can keep guest starring in literally everything Everything, else. and he's perfect. He's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like stuff like that. And you know, like every time someone's like, oh, like they should they should bring the office. It's like, no. no. Like, oh, no. These things are over. They found a way to end. And it's great that they ended. Over. Yeah. No, yeah. I feel the same the same way about a lot of uh a lot of programming. Even when it comes to shows that have been gone for so long or you know mm-hmm. the need to do prequel movies and do X, Y, and D, you know, they were talking about doing a breaking bad movie. And I'm not going to lie. I'm very excited for the Sopranos prequel they're doing, but I, it looks so good, but like, I don't know if it's even to me, it wasn't even necessary. And I think, I think because of the team that they have on board, they have a lot of the original creators. I think it can be great. But for me, the idea of even taking the gamble with shows that have, been so legendary scares me mm-hmm. you know i'd rather play i'm i'm very much the i'd rather be safe than sorry yeah and it's because so many things can go wrong so quickly um so you know i think in this case it can it and it can be done really well but it always makes me a little nervous when talks like that start to happen because it can really ruin the image of the original yeah. you know the original creation that you know wow this was great start to finish and now it's mm-hmm. done and put it to bed it can really tarnish the reputation of that kind of like sex in the city too just saying <laughs> first movie was great second movie what were you guys thinking you just ruined everything it's a little out of my wheel trust me the second one's terrible first one is great <laughs> You know, it's it's interesting because I'm like I'm thinking about like as you were saying that I was thinking about um, Better Call Saul and how like it's apparently a prequel that does a really great job but like I after the first season I keep falling asleep I couldn't bring myself to continue watching it because Me it's neither. like I don't know if I care yeah <laughs> no same I I watched the first season and I started the second season and I just remember thinking this is this is great and it feels appropriate but unless some shit really starts going down i really don't feel that connectivity with it and i really wish i did because bob Auden, audenkirk is that his last name bob, the, the o- main Oden, guy Odenkirk. he i think he's great i think he's a really 
amazing actor. And I think what he does with Saul and finding mm-hmm. out how he becomes Saul Goodman is awesome. Yeah. But there's a level of investment that's not really there before. And I think if you're going to do something that is a prequel, you your timing really needs to be on on par like you mm-hmm. really because if the prequel came out closer to when breaking bad ended i feel like my investment would have still been there but too much time yeah. happened for me where you know i moved on you know i found <laughs> i found a new partner you know i found i found someone else so that's that's kind of the struggle with me mm-hmm. really ever being invested in a prequel um when it comes to prequel films sure why not you know but Again, I'm. I'd rather just leave it alone. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not. I don't plan on rewriting anything ever. I'm just gonna <laughs> go with my original storylines and hope that they work out. <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna have like your director's cut version. God where, no. <laughs> oh God. Go no. back in, add in all the scenes you wanted. <laughs> no. Oh man, no, there's no way. I think, yeah, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people who like to reimagine those things. And I think it's almost a little more fun when it's something fantasy driven. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have no real interest, you know, as a writer myself to rewrite anything that has been done before me. I think it can be a good exercise, but there's no way I'm going to, you know, maybe, maybe if I, for fun, I'd be like, I'm going to write an episode of The Sopranos, but like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not really, um, invested in, in recreating an amazing wheel. I'll, I'll just come up with my own shit. I would be really interested in reading your episode of The Sopranos. Honestly, it would, the entire thing would be from Carmela's point of view. I am obsessed with Carmela. I think she is. I think I've I actually started this paper and I never expanded on it. It was supposed to be for a class I took and it was supposed to be like a three to five like double spaced page paper and I was ready to basically write a dissertation <laughs> on why she was so like why she was just the cornerstone of that family and that show. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's almost a learning experience for me to try and doing things, try to do things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna, hopefully, you know, my original content just goes out there and <laughs> sending it to the universe to have somebody pick it up and think it's funny. So. <laughs> that's all, that's all we all hope for. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping that one day Nick Kroll just reads my tweets and he's like ah this girl's hilarious hiring her for big mouth (laughs) (laughs) oh man i mean that's that's the thing too like part of what i love about kind of where we're at right now is that like we can actually access a lot of these people and communicate with them right you know while most of the time I'm not really looking for like a new gig or something, right? Like, just the idea that someone who you think is really funny can think you're really funny too. Yeah. It's just like that's incredible to me. I think I I mean that's kind of why I love being, you know, a very creative person now is that the abilities that we have to network and talk to each other and really reach people that were kind of unreachable before the internet or social media was a thing, I think is a really beautiful thing. Um, and I think especially with why I love streaming and Netflix and Hulu Mm -hmm. and all these, these, you know, 
platforms is that it does kind of give people an accessibility that they didn't have before. Absolutely. And I think that's a really beautiful thing because I didn't realize, this is how privileged I am. I didn't realize that there were places in the United States where movie theaters really aren't a thing. You have to drive half an hour, yeah. 45 minutes to go to the movies. I could go 10 minutes in almost either direction and run into a movie theater. And I think this idea of streaming where anyone with a laptop and an internet connection can find something to watch that is of quality and that they're able to access is like such a great thing. And not even just, you know, YouTube, Vimeo, like they have all yeah. of these things. It's just such a, not just a wealth of knowledge, but a wealth of entertainment. Um, like we're trying, so I have a friend of mine who is trying to get Paris is Burning, you know, shown <laughs> to a class and you know, before you would kind of have to like buy the tape, figure mm -hmm. that whole thing out. And now it's, I think it's streaming on Netflix. It's like, no, they just yeah. fire it up and that's it. You know, there's just so many um, ways that I think streaming has changed the way that, you know, we kind of educate ourselves and educate each other and are able to be exposed to entertainment that wasn't always there. Yeah. So I mean, that, that accessibility is just key. I mean, I think, you know, like you said, we take it, we take it for granted too much, especially like being in like the Northeast where it's like everything we want, we can go out and get right. like within a few minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like all of these kind of seminal programs, movies, films, like whatever being available. Like, I, I think that's something that growing up, I wish we kind of had, like, I feel like, you know, as, as much as I feel like I've gotten a good sense of, of what I'll call good media, good right. film, good, good television, all of that, like, I feel like I could have seen so much more if, you know, we were growing up at a time when it's like the internet was, was here and right. streaming was like, cause even like, I think back to when I was in college and I think I'm a little bit older or we're the same age or I'm 27. Okay. I'm a little bit older. Than okay. Me. So when I was in college, like Netflix streaming was basically just starting up. And so we were still getting DVDs in the mail. Right. And we, that's how we were watching the Sopranos. <laughs> um, but like, just like thinking about that, like they had barely any programs available on Netflix streaming. And now it's original programs. Yeah, it's classic it's... film. It's, it's anime. It's like foreign language, like, you know, LGBTQ films, you know, like everything that you could possibly want to dive into you can find an avenue to it now. Right. It's just like, I don't know. It's just, some, it's kind of wild to think about like, you know, all right. You know, when I was a kid, it was, let's go to Blockbuster. Right. And, and get, you're lucky if they have X, Y, Z. And now it's like, there's 3000 times as much selection on, you know, if you really think about it, your phone. You know? Right. It's, it's Netflix. There's Hulu. There's, again, there's, you know, original content on YouTube, on Vimeo's yeah. doing a lot of original content. Amazon. Has Amazon. Facebook. I mean, like, yeah, a, a lot of Facebook stuff is reality, but still, like, I mean, like, you, you talk about something like uh, Red Table Red Table Talk, talk or, yeah. You know, it's and it's just, like, it, it's wild, like, yeah, I mean, I need to have a whole episode on reality. Right, oh, uh, yeah, reality point. TV is another monster of its own, but, yeah, I think it's also, um, you know, with streaming you do get a diversity of content, but I think a lot of what's happening now is the same thing that's happening on network television where 
yes, we're getting all this content and, or, you know, all these programs, but there's still very much a lack of diversity in what we're getting. Yeah. So now it's that competition's kind of going to streaming services mm-hmm. where, you know, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina just got renewed for a bunch of seasons. Yeah where we can't get one day at a time to get another season. We, you know, too much clearly. Yeah. Or it's just, you know, obviously shows that are led by people of color, like are still taking Mm -hmm. the back burner on streaming platforms because just because we're on there doesn't mean we're, you know, they're getting treated the the same way. Um, So I think that's another issue that's coming into play that happens obviously a lot on cable and on television mm-hmm. and on major networks i think it's starting to happen in streaming and even though i think there's very much a call now for um you know telling not just diversity but like telling different stories yeah. and different perspectives and different ages i think that's a beautiful thing um but i think that that segmentation on on um streaming services it's, it's happening the same way it does on cable so i think there really needs to be um, you know, just like a bigger, I don't know if it's like a movement. I, you know, I know that, that there are lots of people who are moving to get, you know, shows run by and written by people of color to get them at the forefront. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I just don't want us to kind of repeat what has yeah. happened on cable time after time, you yeah. know, like as a kid, I think I was really lucky to have the programs I had because I think the early 90s did something that very few networks were like early 90s Nickelodeon was doing very few things that anybody else was doing. Yeah. Um, and I think it was like a really beautiful time in television for not just, you know, animation and things for children, but kind of bridging the gap of what is um, not appropriate for kids, but like all that was like, a sketch comedy show yeah. for kids. Like that was SNL, you know, yeah. that, that was basically no, I mean, that, SNL. It was SNL for kids. And, and like, just thinking about like who you saw on the show, it was like right. Nickelodeon at that time had this really great way of reflecting, you know, our country in a way that like next to no other networks were really doing. Right. And, you know, while it wasn't perfect, while there were definitely missing pieces, you know, I think it was something that, has kind of stayed true about the network. Like I don't watch any of the new stuff that they have going on now. I mean, there's no one in my family who is like young enough to, to watch it. Not to say you have to be young. to watch. No, but it's, it's not exactly coming up, but like, I mean, just like looking at like the, the folks who are represented on their programs, you know, then and now, and like how there has been that steady movement of it, you know, it is really something great to see and something that I wish we could really see from a lot of other networks. And, yeah. You know, I think to that to that dollar kind of push mentality behind it, it's just like, you know, the AMC is that, that great example to me where it's just like, all right, like we will try to do this show that has like a good sense of diversity you know, right. or is representative of multiple different types of people oh, it's not doing too well. Let's retreat back to this. Right, and it's almost like an excuse. Like, they'll be like, oh, we tried it. So since we tried it, we're we're okay. And that's not good enough. You know, it's not not good. I mean, it's great to put the effort in, but then to 
almost be so quickly to say, oh, well, it didn't work. Okay. Like back to square one. We can't do anything like this again. Just isn't, you know, isn't really viable to me. Like I don't buy it. Yeah. And Um, and I mean, that's sad. Like, I mean, I think that's why a program like um, the walking dead, which we hated on a little bit earlier for, for running too long. Like part of the reason why it was kind of successful and kind of interesting was again, like it was, it was showing this really interesting group of people who didn't always necessarily get along with each other or agree, but it's like, that's a microcosm right. of what we have going on out yeah. here. And just like, you know, again, like, I mean, how many, you know, how many Asian American characters do we see on TV who actually like do heroic things and right. aren't just a punchline, you know, like, I mean, you know, think about how long it took for like fresh off the boat to be made. Right. Which is a great <laughs> show, but it took, yeah, it took forever um, and then, you know, Glenn on The Walking Dead was, re- I think, one of the first times I saw, like, an Asian character just be a fucking hero for once. Mm. And, you know, I think re- reframing that narrative of, you know, what um, certain ethnicities are supposed to be like on TV. Mm. Like, I was, when I was a kid, I was I was heavily into acting. I wanted to be an actress. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to do the whole thing. Did not want to do it. Like, as I got older, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I just want to write. Um, You know, I was, even though I was very young, I was being typecasted for my ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Once they found out I was Latina, there were only three routes I could go. And it was even another layer because they weren't sure when they looked at me what Mm. I was because I am white passing, but then they would see my name and then they were like, well, that's Porchy. Like they were, there was a lot of like, you could, I could read it on casting directors faces. They're like trying to fix. They're trying to box me into something. All the equations are just coming up. (laughs) Yeah. It was the equation meme where they're just like not too sure. And then, you know, when they, they would see on my, my resume that I was fluent in English and Spanish. And, you know, it was either I was the sassy best friend, the slutty friend, or someone who was just a secondary character to whatever white person was the the main character and whatever I was reading for. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, I was tired of it. And first of all, I'm like 12 or 13, so I don't really know what it's like to read as a slutty friend. You know, you're getting asked if it's a Latinx character to do an accent. Like, it was just these very narrow boxes that I think if we don't, you know, and and I think a lot of the responsibility is on writers who Mm -hmm. only imagine characters in one way. Yeah. But it's also casting directors really need to understand what it is that, you know, what our reality is for, you know, being people of color, being, you know, mm-hmm. it, it does start at the writing level, but you, you need to drill it down to when casting directors are looking for people and holding auditions. Like, are you are you making this ar- a- a- actor like box themselves into the character that, you know, hasn't even been that fleshed out yet? Like you're making them do an accent. Like, was it written that way? Yeah. Probably, you know, even if it's not, you're still pushing this kind of agenda mm-hmm. that that doesn't need to be there. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I was writing with a friend of mine and we were, we were writing a show where the protagonist is a woman and he was, and he was like, well, who do you think would play? Like, who do you see as this, as this person? And I said, Michaela Cole, because I think she's amazing. Um, (laughs) because I saw chewing gum and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Where is that show? By the way, I think it's over. I hope it's not, but chewing gum hasn't come back. I think. I think it's over. 
Chewing gum might be over, but it also might be on like an extremely long hiatus. Yeah. Where like I know she said she wanted to work on different things. Yeah. So I, I, it may be but her coming back. Are, that's Michaela Cole, right? Or am I thinking of someone else? I believe that's her okay. Name. So I was thinking her because I saw chewing gum and like the show that we were writing is very much in that similar vein. And he thought of the girl from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. The Rachel, the, um, love, the main girl. Main girl, yeah. And it was just one of those things where I'm like, it could be played, like, we could play it by Find either person. In the middle. <laughs> but either way, like, you know, it, it was just one of those things I'm like, think about everyone that we're writing right now. If you can't name a single person of color, we'd have nothing to talk about here. Yeah. You know, and if you're going to write them as just the people you know, and, and then he was like, well, why do you think I called you? Because I know that I have... I have a pre- like a prejudice that I didn't even know that I had. He's like, I didn't realize I was just writing things hmm. from a white man's perspective. And he's like, and also that that also makes me feel like I, I shouldn't be the one to write about this. And I was like, well, yeah, you got a point. Like, yeah. it's a good thing that you, <laughs> you know, you, you recognize, you recognize it. it. But it's, you know, that recognition only Goes, happens yeah. to so many people. Because, you know, there are two writers right now who are white guys that I really want to fight with these hands because they don't know how to write women or people of color. So, yeah, it's just it's just there's no excuse at this point. Like, figure figure it out. Get someone who knows what they're doing and just think outside of your own perspective for five minutes. That's my that's my rant on diversity in television. Well, actually, I think I think that is a pretty good place to end this conversation. But I'm going to ask you one more question because okay. this is something that I meant to do on the first episode of this podcast, okay. I guess, but <laughs> I forgot to. So a big part of this whole idea of this new Stay Watching podcast mm-hmm. is like the idea that I also want to hear people talk about what they're watching, you know, so like what... You know, what are the things that you're currently watching? What are some of the things that are on your list that you're excited that you see coming out? Um, Yeah. And what are some of those things? All right. So I'm making my way through Schitt's Creek because it's hilarious and I need a palate cleanser after Game of Thrones. Um, So Schitt's Creek is definitely has me dying. I love it. Um, I... I'm getting, I'm so I'm kind of pre-gaming being a vulnerable person because I'm not very good with vulnerability. So I'm watching a lot of things that make me feel things. certain ways <laughs> that make me feel things. Um, so a recommendation from a friend of mine was to watch Love, Simon. It was a very cute movie. I recommend things. it. I cried a lot. Um, and then I haven't watched, there's that new movie with uh, Gina Rodriguez, um, and Brittany oh. Snow, someone great, something yeah, great. I've heard a lot of good things. About yeah, that. I've heard great things about it. And shout out to Lizzo because her music's in it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm probably gonna watch that tonight. Um, you know, it's just randomly, yeah. wildly. Whenever when they were writing it, they actually put in what music they thought should be in each yes. scene, and then just worked to get them. That's amazing. I love, I love that idea. Um, I'm finishing Tuca and Birdie, so. I haven't finished it yet. I'm loving it. I'm very entertained. I I love animation. So, yeah, those are uh, those are kind of my my currently watching, and I'll see if I have any other updates. Um, and I'm just kind of waiting for The Handmaid's Tale to come back, so I can <laughs> really cry myself to sleep at night. Okay. But, yeah. 
Nice. And the last thing that I'm going to ask you to do, yep. tell people where they can find you if you want to be yes, found. Yes, I do want to be found. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram. Um, my Twitter is Rebecca Esther C. And my website is um, RebeccaEcarvalo.com. And my Instagram is, I think, also Rebecca E. Carvalho. So, yeah, you can find me. Um, you can also find me at my local bar at all times because I write there all the time. <laughs> I, yeah, I bring my laptop. I order a beer. So, um, yeah, you, you can find me at a underdog at least once a week. So It's, it's real hip. Yeah, it's real. Hip. I'm the only one that does it. <laughs> and I get made fun of for it all the time. Wait, are you seriously the only one? Yeah, I'm it? the only one who does it. I, I At least once a week because I'm full-time... Full-time freelance, I get my laptop, yeah. I go, I order a beer, and I write. I mean, that makes sense to me. It's a great time. Yeah, I, highly recommend. If I wasn't in this place. Yeah, I <laughs> highly recommend it. So, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Okay. Well, it was great talking with Thank you. Thank you for having me. This yeah. was so fun. It was very cathartic to <laughs> just let, let, it all, let it all out there, let it all go. Hey, like I always say, podcasting is therapy. Yeah, so. it really is. <laughs> So, all right, I'll be back in a second, fam. All right, thank you. So, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Stay Watching. I hope you enjoyed that conversation over the next couple of weeks. I have a couple of really great episodes planned. So in the next few weeks, you can expect me to be talking with friends about shows like Game of Thrones, the end of Jane the Virgin and what it means for kind of representation and depictions of, of both men and women on screen, uh, as well as an future episode about the kind of peak TV generation, whatever you want to call it that we're in right now. So we have a lot of really great stuff coming up. If you have feedback, if you have comments that you want to leave on the episode, make sure to like, um, like comment and subscribe what is this youtube uh make sure to leave your feedback uh whether that be on social media i'm at larry tron pretty much everywhere on social media feel free to use the hashtag stay watching with no g because you know we roll like that uh email me your suggestions your questions your feedback larry at lm2photo.com i really look forward to hearing back from all of you if you have ideas for future topics for the show also share those with me and hey if you want to be involved if you want to come onto the show at some point and have a conversation with me about whether it's your favorite media something that's been bothering you about entertainment or what's going on in the world let me know i'm always looking for new guests to be a part of this new experiment uh and yeah we'll talk to you again soon fam peace